Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we speak with Ricky Samuel, e-commerce lead at Mindshare, where he helps clients in understanding their e-commerce related challenges to drive success. For those who don't know, Mindshare was the first purpose-built company created by WPP, and today has a headcount of over 10,000 that operates in 116 offices in 86 countries around the world. To put it bluntly, having Ricky on the show is kind of a big deal. In part one, we discuss Ricky's track record of success, starting with his time at Bose and omni-channel sales in Southeast Asia in the early 2010s. We talk about his time at Asus and just how much control Microsoft had over their local marketing strategy and pricing. We also discuss localized messaging and marketing for Indonesian consumers and driving preferential product placement on search platforms. We end part one by talking about how customer feedback impacted the product roadmap for Indonesia during his time at Hewlett Packard. For those who want to catch our discussion on video, head over to WPIC underscore co on YouTube to find us there. Enjoy. What we understand is we need to ensure the experience and the engagement is the same level every time our new customer walk into our store. That's the authorized store, even the official store that we have it, like a Bose experience store. So the biggest challenge actually when we engaging with our reseller is make sure they have the same level of the experience to the customer. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Hey everybody, welcome to The Negotiation. I'm your host, Todd Embley, and we are here today with Ricky Samuel, who is the e-commerce partner at Mindshare, leading engagement with clients to understand their challenges and to create solutions that ensure client success. Ricky, thanks for coming on the show today. It's great to have you. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me here. It's been a pleasure for me as well for joining this podcast with you. Thank you. All right. So we're excited to have you on the show today and deep dive into the digital landscape in Southeast Asia, as well as the broader digital transformation strategies for the region. Why don't we kick this off by having you give us a bit of an introduction into your background and what you've been focused on for the last 10 years? Uh, for the last 10 years, actually, I've been focusing on the omni-channel strategy to help being the brand as well. I've been in the brand, a lot of the brands really on the electronics brand some home entertainment brand as well, such as Bose, Hellpacker, Asus, even like in the B2B big brand, Snyder Electrics. But now I've been managed the EEG region before for Snyder, but now I'm back in Indonesia for helping Mindshare to actually answer the support and the service for the e-commerce services for their uh, clients in Indonesia. I want to dive into your experience at Bose first. So you were at Bose for almost six years. Can you share 
going back to March of 2010 when you joined that organization, how did they approach omni-channel sales in Southeast Asia? And was that something that they were even thinking about back then? Actually, it's totally different game uh, if we're comparing by today, right? Uh, back then, Bozeman focused in customer excitement, experience, or we call it wow in the three seconds experience of the product itself. So the focus is to uh, in a brick and mortar store, how we make sure every customer that coming or walk into our store get the three second wow effect and they will buy the products and enjoying the experience. So if we're talking about omnichannel at that time, they just put the web store as the product information source of all the products that we have as the portfolio. Just that's it. There is no transaction will be happening on the web store. That's what we call it the website only. Yeah, yeah. Because you're, you're talking about when they walk into the store. I'm not sure for how much longer in this in this current, uh, you know, futuristic landscape that we're going to be able to even be able to say that uh, the kids are going to go, well, mom and dad, what did you mean by walking into the store? So what what was that mix of online to offline sales in the region when you joined? And what was it like? What was that mix like when you left in October of 2015? I believe during my first year on that company, you can see it's all- the zero. There is no online transaction. Everything is online. Everything is offline. Sorry. Yeah, there is no uh, situation in Southeast Asia. Actually, all the e-commerce is just starting, especially for high brand like Bose. And the situation in Southeast Asia at that time is actually the biggest transaction happening because of the test on delivery, the COD. The penetration in credit card for especially in Indonesia is super low. That's why the business is uh, not happening on the e-commerce space at that time. But when I left the company in 2015, actually, we already started over all the e-commerce transaction. We joined the Lazada, if you are aware of it. Actually, Lazada is one of the biggest uh, in Southeast Asia e-commerce marketplaces. In 2013, mm-hmm. we are the first one of the first pioneer to open the official store setup. And 2013-2015, actually, we already reached almost 3% of the contribution of the sales for the consumer products in the online space. So it's quite interesting. And the top management actually quite happy with all the progress. But at the time, the D2C is not happening. So we still focus on the marketplaces for e-commerce. Can you share a little bit? about your work, your understanding, and and how you were helping set pricing strategies for Bose in Indonesia? So at the time, actually, I managed the focusing on the home consumer products. That means from the headphone, the speaker that we plug in at the home, not the B2B one. So the initial setup that we are focusing on the pricing actually engaged the entry level. Because the during at that year, the audio, the high quality audio products, it's not that high demand. They feel this is the tertiary products. This is not the primary they needs. The speaker just sounding the music, not the high quality of the music itself. So the pricing we trying to hit the entry of the customer. So we really bombarded with the specific uh, promotion strategy to make sure the customer interesting to engage with our products. I do some survey at the time, actually. When you walk into the post store, actually a lot of people quite scared to walk in because the impression of the brand is already high quality 
and super expensive, right? That's why in the e-commerce, when they see our store products landscape, oh, both have under $200 headphone that they, can, they never imagine that kind of stuff. They only think about our home theater that costs $3,000 to $4,000 US dollar at that time, right? That's why with the e-commerce, we can penetrate with the entry level of the products to focusing on the we getting a new customer base, especially during the millennials at the time for our target audience, for our new products on the headphone, headset, that kind of things at the time. Yeah, I mean, Bose is an extremely high-end, well-regarded brand yeah. name, right? It's It's an organization that can be from what I've heard, not having worked there, quite particular about, you know, their brand and the customer experience. I mean, they are an experiential company, right? This is That's the part, this is, you know, with the sound and the quality and noise canceling and, you know, they, they're all about the yep. experience and that has to translate and infuse itself into everything from an offline experience as you said the first few seconds they walk in the store to relationships with distributors or let's say resellers so to to kind of that end i wanted to ask what about managing the relationship with authorized resellers and maintaining things like that brand quality and experience in the market there actually both will be both we are really <laughs> strict with the guideline <laughs> Because what we understand is we need to ensure the experience and the engagement is the same level every time our new customer walk into our store. That's the authorized store, even the official store that we have it, like a Boost Experience store. So we need to ensure from the demo units, the products quality, that kind of things. So the biggest challenge actually when we engaging with our reseller is make sure they have the same level of the experience to the customer even at that time as you know right demo units all the structure to materials it's quite expensive if we're shipping from the headquarter in the us to especially in southeast asia region in indonesia but the strict guideline all the demo unit that coming from the headquarter it cannot locally create it even though we say we can have make it cheaper and distribute to more partner right at the time for the demo units, but they say no, this is the way that we are doing. They will touch the same materials, same quality as they walk in in every country of both store. So it's really tricky, but because of doing that, actually all the partner understand and realize that investment is really worth it. So every time the customer walk into their store, their reseller of the bulls, they will say, oh, this is the original quality. Because at that time, we also facing a lot of the OEM products of bulls, right? A lot of reseller say, this is the OEM that kind of things. But when they try it on, they're totally different experience they have. It. So that's the way we engage with our reseller partner to make sure the quality of the products and the satisfaction of the customer is in there. Is it difficult? Like, is there control features? You know, can you uh, can you really control what they do uh, and what they're offering? I mean, what what is the what is the outcome of a reseller 
who is behaving badly and won't follow the rules you know what what kind of power do you have when you represent bose to try to control that situation delaying the product assortment to them the kind of things right how how the manufacturer doing yeah how we can push and pull a relationship to the, the to the partner that kind of thing something happens and at the end of the day we want to ensure our quality and our services and our experience is the same level. That's why when they become our partner or reseller, they need to commit in that kind of the way because how we run the products that you mentioned, right? Both is experimental experience. They buy mm. the experience. We, on, we always say when people buy our products, they're investing to their ears. It's totally mm. different when they buying the cheap headphone. The, the our noise canceling is the best, always the best. I, I believe it's still the best out there right now, right? And the way that we are putting in that way, and uh, we're trying to engage with our customer and the seller to make sure that still need to be key part this message of the customer itself. So, at the end of the day, we all agree with some mutual agreement at the end of the day. For those of you listening uh, to the audio version of the podcast, you're not, you're not able to see us. Uh, and if you want to see us, of course, you can go to the WPIC YouTube channel and catch us here. And you'll see that both of us are wearing actually the Apple AirPods as we talk about how Bose is the best in the world. So, But I think we've all owned great Bose headphones in the past and, and uh, experienced the noise canceling. I particularly loved it on airplanes to get rid of that white noise of an airplane so I could sleep. Uh, sometimes I would just wear them and turn on the noise canceling without playing anything just 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 so i could get quiet uh to sleep uh which i loved okay let's keep working through your resume a little bit so after bose you went to yet another household tech company asus um you know for those of you who may not know like the asus uh like computers and laptops um and they were huge particularly in Asia, like they were big in North America and Europe. So if you're, you know, in one of those regions listening or watching this show, you will have probably understood Asus. But if you spent any time in Asia, Asus was really, really dominant for a time uh, in Asia. So now Asus, uh, obviously, they make the the hardware and licenses. Uh, they, they make the hardware and then license the software from Microsoft, right? How much of the control was maintained by Microsoft around let's say marketing strategy and pricing in a market, for instance, like your home market where you're sitting right now, because you are based in Jakarta, Indonesia, how much of that marketing and pricing strategy in Indonesia, let's start with, was controlled or influenced by Microsoft when Asus is operating? I believe uh, when people about Asus, maybe the ROG is one of the biggest one. The Republic of Gamers is actually part of Asus. Maybe a lot of people not aware that actually the, all the gamers know the ROG stuff. So regarding the, your question, actually the relationship with the vendor, hardware, and the software is a little bit unique. Regarding the, uh, we always talking about joint business plan together. We want to hit the market with the correct strategy in terms of the pricing, but actually regarding the pricing of the products, as we are the managed the hardware, Microsoft let us decide 
but they also support us with the funding of the branding. But of course, it's need to co-branding strategy on that one. So if you see the apps that's put it in the logo with the 50-50 side by side, that means actually that is a co-branding budget. So we utilize the budget from Microsoft and we spend 50% of our budget also to support some of the activation, right? And if you may aware at that time, actually the biggest challenge for Microsoft is manage about the pirates, the piracy products, right? All the fake windows, the kind of things, right? That's why actually uh, uh, we have a good deal uh, with Microsoft where we do 100% original software in pre-installed because at that time there is still 50-50 50% coming from the box without the software in Asia it's normally happened that kind of way but nowadays it's no longer happening so it's 100% pre-installed by the Microsoft or the others other operating system so Microsoft actually not engaged with the pricing the pricing still based on the vendor uh, decision in terms of the strategy to penetrate the market itself. But yes, we have like a co-branding co-brand, budget to do together. You know, I know that control of copycats and piracy and things particularly diff- difficult in Asia in the past. Um, we didn't have as strong or stringent laws that were enforceable. And I'll say that were enforceable because I think there was a lot of law. I think there's there's laws pretty much covering everything. It's really the enforcement of uh, of laws and, and what you could really do in that in that region. So you had to be a little bit more sophisticated in your relationships. You know, going back to talking about even those resellers of bows and how to control the experience, you know, the best the best defense was really pick the right partners in the beginning. That's going to uh, save you a lot of headache by just picking the right the right partner up front, right? Besides translating, when it comes to the messaging and marketing, how much work do you have to do to actually localize the messaging and the marketing? You know what I mean? Like not just translating word for word and things like that, but how much localization actually goes into how you deploy the messaging and marketing for consumers in Indonesia. Actually, this is also really critical. As you may aware, ASUS is actually the headquarters in Taiwan. Uh, we're trying to engage in the way of mostly China trying that kind of things, right? But Indonesia is totally different way of to communicate the products. One of the examples is a brand ambassador. Yes, we have a worldwide brand ambassador, but the issue is in Indonesia, who are they? We are don't have any recognition about who, who are they. They are not in our television, right? They are not in our movies, that kind of things. So we totally do significant change the way we did approach our customer. Even we are using a lot of uh, local QOL, QOPNL leader at that time, become our brand ambassador. So we're starting for the, from the ROG of our products of the Republic of Gamers using the local team that playing the Counter-Strike at that time, right? It's super big also. So we're using, utilize all the BAs in the local level. So that's how the localization, not only the translation, but how we key messaging of our products, especially in Indonesia, the biggest issue is actually the warranty. 
the surface warranty of the products. So we, how we engage them, give the additional value of the warranty, you buying safe because a lot of people thinking about the electronics, the notebook need coming from the US for the better quality that kind of stuff, right? But the thing is, we coming from the Taiwanese, they may not aware of our products at that time. But when we say we guarantee our products with two years campaign, actually at that time, all the brand only do one year's campaign. We do two years campaign of the communicate about the benefit buying our products. So it's quite a totally different approach with what worldwide doing and in regional, even in the country level for the marketing itself. Back then, was was it difficult to have the brand resonate well with consumers in Indonesia because it was headquartered, you know, or that it was a Taiwanese company versus a U.S. or an American company or something like that? Like, did that impact the work that you had to do to help grow the brand in Indonesia? In my personal opinion, uh, sometimes customers are not into aware of which origin of the brand itself. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that's actually the fact, right? But the thing is, they are more aware about what people talk about that brand. That's why the brand ambassador in the local level, showcasing the products, using the products, it's more powerful rather than we communicate, communicate to the customer who we are. So we better engage to, with the opinion leader about our product itself. So it's more powerful messaging rather than kind of the way. So probably yes or no, it's totally uh, quite quite not sure again the, the answer on that one. But what we believe is actually localized, even from the KOL or brand ambassador is the key to win the customer itself. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we're going to keep going through, you know, running, running through the resume because you left Asus yeah. and then you went, you went over to HP, right? Little Hewlett Packard. Yep. And that was at the start of 2018, you know, and, and it's important to understand. I mean, we are moving through this, this timeline because it's, it's very much of interest into discussing uh, where we're at today because a lot of our listeners and brand owners, uh, brand decision makers are trying to predict and understand what the future is going to be tomorrow. We can we can try to guess all we want. However, what we can at least do that's, you know, the, the, try to, the, the predictions that we can make that are at least somewhat based and baked in fact can only be done with looking at today. And then understanding how we got to today in order to at least have two, if not more data points to be able to project out and, and continue to draw that line, to extrapolate out, to understand where we're going in the future. So this is this is if anybody's curious why we're doing it this way, this is this is kind of our, our theory or thesis or ethos here is to understand where we were to how we got to to where we are today. We will talk about where we're at today to then help understand and help people be able to accurately predict where these things are going for tomorrow. Now, you joined HP in 2018. Um, and at that point, obviously, you know, online commerce was, you know, a huge share of sales, big, big market share of sales. But I'm curious, what, what was the mix of direct to consumer versus other online marketplaces and retailers? And can you shed some light on on that and then how did it how did that affect 
the marketing and sales strategies given the large amount of direct to consumer that was happening in the region? Yeah, if we're talking about the mix, right, about the D2C, actually uh, at that time it's quite small comparing to the marketplace e-commerce. As I mentioned, right, during the Bose Lazada starting in 12, 2012, and the five years, the six year is Lazada is crazy with the double digit date. Maybe you've been in China, right? The double digit is crazy sales. Within an hour, they can sell 10,000, even 100,000 units of the laptop. So we really trying to tap on, on the e-commerce marketplace at that time. Now, are you talking about like singles day? Yes. Right? Like 11-11? Yes, Right? True. We've covered a lot. Yeah. Or the 618 and the 12, yes. 12. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So uh, Indonesia is the same time, right? So D2C actually quite tough for us. Why? Because all the budget from the marketplaces, they invest a lot to drive the traffic to their site, right? And even uh, to give you some highlight, right? When we're trying to bidding on the SEM for the Googles, Lazada bidding even higher for our brand to go to their site. <laughs> that's, that's the truth, man. Are we bidding our own branded keywords with Lazada, not our competitors? The situation is that kind of the things. That's why in terms of the budget marketing, we're trying to utilize it. What I will really keep mentioning is we need to surf the wave, surfing above the wave. What is the wave means? Is the wave means when the marketplace spending all the money to absorb all the traffic to their site, we need to make sure our visibility in the e-commerce marketplace. That's why the budget more we utilize it on the on platform level of the investment. So we invest a lot in Lazada. We buying the banner, we buying the search ads, that kind of things during the time. So it's totally different way of approach. And especially for the marketing perspective, right? The one of the example is actually we're doing the integrated marketing omnichannel approach. If you remember on 2018, 2019, CTA button is become huge. Buy now. Get it now. That kind of things, right? So I called to my marketing lead at the time where I say, hey, we need to change to all your banner. You need to do the CTA button to our official store. If cannot done that way, at least go to our D2C website. And that's all the transformation need to make happen. Right. C- CTA being call to action. Yes, call to action. Previously, all the banner is not only showing the key selling point of the product side and maybe about pricing, not action at all both online and offline marketplaces that you are going to be collaborating with are going to have a lot of HP competitors that they could be selling as well, right? They're, they're, they're Omni product uh, in, in a way, uh, right? So how do you help drive preferential, do you call it preferential treatment, like preferential product placement, preferential search result facilitation. How, how do you drive that? How did you drive that for HP in those types of scenarios? The first things need to be drafted is actually based to who is your partner. As you mentioned, right? Partner also have the preferable. If they prefer to sell your products, they will give you a lot of exposure. At the end of the day, your brand equity will be raised up into that platform. 
So we really engage with the platform at the first time. So we engage with all the marketplaces. We give what they need. We do a lot of barter. We do a lot of social media campaign collaboration with the marketplaces. So we make sure our visibility in platform is there. After that, of course, we need to engage our end customer to convert them into our customer with tactical promotion, with interesting offering, like additional bundles when they buy online, like free mouse, free gimmicks, that kind of things. As you may aware, right, what our learning as well from China, China is a way ahead, right, in getting off their e-commerce. And we understand it's actually in terms of the price harmonization is really important. What that means, when they go to the marketplace, in Indonesia itself, we have a lot of marketplaces. There is Lazada, uh, there is Shopee, Tokopedia, all the local Sublibli, Bukalapak, that kind of things. But when they go to our official store, all the price harmonization is the same. So they know they buying is the original products, not the fake one. Because at that time, a lot of parallel import as well happening inside. About the originality is that uh, is the products may be cheaper because they ship from the overseas to the country. We call it like a black market products for the electronics happenings a lot, right? So that's why we ensure our customer when you buying or from our sales store, you got the original warranty. At that time, also we spent a lot of money to drive give understanding why we are the best leading worldwide. HP is actually number one worldwide at the time. So we actually leverage that kind of key communication to gain trust to the customer to buy us through the online gateway. And actually during that time as well, we want to have number one market share for the online channel for HP during 2019, 2020. Yeah. Wow. That's the, wow. A lot of stuff for the online channel. Wow, congratulations. That's that's a significant achievement. Well done. Did you get a chance at all to take feedback from customers from your marketplace partners about the product and then pass that feedback not only along to your colleagues, but colleagues amongst the product teams? And do you have an example or two of the, you know that you can share where where feedback from customers in Indonesia may have had the opportunity to actually impact the product roadmap at the company level at all? So we do a lot of uh, research and survey. Before we launch our products, we need to understand who is our target audience, who is actually the one who will buy the products. One of the examples is actually when we're launching our gaming laptops. If you may know, it's uh, Omen by HP. So during the Omen by HP, actually we're trying to do like the old fashion of the launch the products. Just launch it and let people notice about the products. But it's not working. So we try to modify. We try to understand why it's not working. Why is gaming hardware is totally different with all the consumer laptops. So we're trying to understand what they need. So a lot of discussion happening in gaming forum actually. We just like do like a moderator. Hey, you know, this is the new laptop. What uh, inside feedback that you want to say? If you are aware, all the gaming laptop have the RGB, red, green, blue keyboard, right? It's really uh, highlight the kind of things. At that time, actually, we are not adapting that kind of the products. And we give to the headquarters, hey, this is the new trend. 
we need to have the RGB. But the Harry Potter is like, oh, it's really fancy, the kind of things. But that's what gamers want, right? And the way of the penetrate of the pricing as well. So even uh, in the after we launched the Omen, uh, after a few years back, we launched a new second tier of the gaming. Because we understand there is a two type of gamers, hardcore gamers and casual gamers. So we not only answering to the hardcore, but we need to answer the casual gamers as well with the right console. That, that means the right hardware of the computer they need. So we do a lot of uh, flagship products to address widths of the segmentation. Even for gaming, we spread it to the hardcore and the casual gamers. Let me ask you a bit of a side question outside of your specific work there, but just in all the work that you've done, have you sure. seen have you seen consumers in Indonesia have they been able to influence products in other areas of the world for whatever reason, whatever they do? I believe why we are the number third in terms of the population, right? We have noise, and the way that we are trying to penetrate. And a lot of brands, when I work with the brands, they will always say Indonesia is the, one of the biggest in Asia, after China, after India. They are the biggest. So we believe we need to understand the needs of the population itself. We understand the needs of the behavior, how they spend their money, how they spend the daily life to use our product itself. So we need to adapt it at the end of the day. I think Indonesia is a, is a market that a lot of smart people have been paying attention to for quite a long time for that exact reason. Okay, we're going to end part one there. Be sure to join us next week for part two with Ricky Samuel, e-commerce lead at Mindshare, talking about achieving e-commerce success in Asia Pacific. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.